Hello, this is Pastor Ariel, and welcome to Devotional. It is my prayer before every episode that this podcast will be a blessing for you. Please remember to subscribe to Devotional on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening in. This way, you will be notified every time a new episode is published. And don't forget to scroll down on the show's description and click on the links for all the free resources to get the best experience out of this podcast. Also, please remember to share with your friends and loved ones so they too can be blessed with this resource. Lastly, please consider becoming a supporter of this podcast. It would be much appreciated. And now, here's today's episode. Welcome once again to Devotional. We are beginning a brand new lesson, lesson number three for January 12th through the 18th. And this is day number one for Sabbath, January 12th. Now it's starting to dive into deep waters. We're going to be doing some really good studies this week. And I'm going beyond the lesson, by the way. Um, what I'm doing is realizing that the lesson can only cover so much. So I'm going to give some supplemental information uh, focused on Christ. And actually, I'm going to try my best to be consistent with that. Since we are focusing on Revelation being the revelation of Jesus, um, I think it would be good exercise for me to try to find Jesus in every single lesson. And we're on lesson number three already, which means we only have nine more lessons left. So we're going to be moving quite fast through the book. And pray for me, because I'm going to be asking the Lord to give me the, the creme de la creme. I want to hit the highlights. And all this week, we're going to be looking at the seven churches. But I'm not going to be focusing on the seven churches per se. I'm going to be looking at Jesus as he relates to the seven churches. And um, the lesson tells us um, from Sabbath, and it gets repeated throughout the rest of the week, that in Revelation chapter 1, you have some descriptions of Jesus. And there's actually seven of them. And these seven descriptions get distributed to each of the churches, which is, is a very cool way of teaching us something already. Before Jesus um, gives us problems, he tells us what the solutions are, which tells us that whatever problems may catch us off guard, God already knows the solution and has it. And the solutions are always found in Christ. Jesus is the solution to all the problems of the churches. And these solutions are always provided before we even know they exist. Before we even knew we had a problem, Jesus already knew. But he does does not only know we have a problem, he also knows the solution and he presents it to us. In Isaiah 65 verse 24, it says that before we call, he will answer. And we certainly see that principle here in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, these revelations of Jesus to each of the churches reveals the solutions to our problems. So we're going to begin on Sabbath to look at Ephesus. I know we looked at it, look at this church last week, but we kind of just focused on the church. I want to look at how Jesus reveals himself to the church of Ephesus because the problems that Ephesus has will be resolved, will be met 
as through the revelation of this aspect of Jesus, this specific way in which Jesus reveals himself to the church. In Revelation chapter 2, uh, verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. So Jesus takes a description of himself that is found in Revelation chapter 1, and he doesn't uh, describe all seven attributes to one church. He distributes these attributes to each of the churches. So he's intentionally picking these two um, aspects of himself and connecting them to the need that the church of Ephesus has. So what does it mean that Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand? Well, part of the cool thing of the book of Revelation is uh, some of the, the symbols that are used are actually interpreted in the book itself. So in, at the very last part of chapter 1, Jesus in verse 20 tells us, As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So you have stars and lampstands. And Jesus says, I have the stars in my right hand and I walk among the lampstands. If we were to interpret or use the symbols and translate them to a literal explanation, the stars are the the angels. And just a little side note, right? A little parenthetical statement. Um, In the Bible, the context tells you many times how to translate certain words or how you should understand them because the word angel in the Greek does not mean a being with a white toga with wings and blonde hair. That's not the angel. An angel is not always describing uh, a divine being, uh, how we typically you know, have the angels pictured with wings, etc., Um, That word in the Greek sometimes is also used simply when describing someone that is a messenger. That's actually the more literal meaning of the word angelos, which is uh, a, a messenger, someone that carries a message. So Jesus has in his hands those individuals whom he has called, whom he has entrusted with this message for the church. And he has these individuals in his right hand. So, what does it mean? What in the Old Testament? That's mostly where I'm going to be going. I did a Bible search um, with those that word, that phrase, the right hand. And one of the, the verses that I found were very beautiful in help us understand this imagery of what what is Jesus trying to convey when he says, "I have these stars." in my right hands, these messengers that I've entrusted with this revelation of myself, these individuals are in my right hand. Uh, One of the first references that I find in the Old Testament that uses that phrase, the right hand, is Genesis chapter 48, verse 13, in which the right hand is used for bestowing blessings, blessings of inheritance, spiritual blessings. And in this context, in Genesis chapter 48, it is Jacob blessing Joseph's children. And Joseph brings and puts the oldest uh, son before Jacob so that his right hand will go on the oldest and his left hand on the youngest. And when Joseph and Jacob goes to bless Joseph's children, he crosses his arms and he places his right hand over the youngest and his left hand over the oldest. And Joseph tries to correct this, but Joseph says, no, 
God likes to do things a little different and he knows from experience because his mom had told him that between him and his twin brother Esau, God had prophesied that he was going to bring the Messiah through the lineage of Jacob, not Esau. He was going to pick the younger instead of the, the older one. And we can spend a lot more time uh, delving into as to why God did that. Actually, I talked about it with both my churches when we were going through the book of Romans. But the, the right hand, in this context, the imagery is very strong. It is the hand through which the blessings flow. It is the hand through which the blessings come. The blessings of God. The blessings of His promise that He will fulfill upon those that this hand lays upon. And Jesus says, the messengers, these individuals weak, frail, and imperfect as they may be, living in a world that is hostile towards them, they are in my right hand. The hand that um, symbolically has been used to place the blessing, the blessing of my promises, that hand, that's where they are. Meaning, all the promises that God has left in His Word for these messengers, they can claim in the name of Christ. The blessings that come through the laying off of the right hand, these individuals that have accepted the call to be a messenger, they can claim with confidence these blessings from the Lord. So it's, it's an imagery of encouragement. The other verse that I found that uses that expression, the right hand, is Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, um, where it's, it's actually called the song, song of Moses. That's what that chapter is usually known for. And there, Moses speaks about the right hand of God is what saved his people from Egypt, from their enemies. God rescued Israel from Egypt with his right hand. I'm going to go there real quick. I'm going to read that passage for you um, because it's, it's part of the imagery um, that we've already covered in the past two lessons. The symbols that are in the book of Revelation didn't just appear out of thin, thin air. John, through the Spirit of God, is taking imagery and phrases and expressions from the Old Testament and giving them a beautiful Christ-centered meaning. Exodus 15 verse 6 says, Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. So the, the right hand is a protective imagery as well. It is no long, not only the means through which the blessings of God's promises are bestowed upon God, His children, but His right hand also is how He defends His children. He shatters the enemy. He protects and redeems and restores and sets free His children with His right hand. The last passage that I'm going to read for you is it comes out of Psalms chapter 16, but it is not the last passage in which you find this expression. Actually, when I did the search, the, the vast majority of the usage of this expression, the right hand, is found in the book of Psalms. But I'm just going to read this, this one passage that brings another complementary, rich imagery of what that, what that phrase means, the right hand of God. Um, in, Revel in, sorry, in Psalms chapter 16, in verse 8 and then verse 11, we read this. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Um, I have set the Lord's, I have sought for the Lord's presence. The, the, I, I've 
put God's, my awareness that God is with me continually, that is an expression that is repeated. And when it is repeated, it is mentioned as the right hand. Uh, I have always sought for the presence of God. I have placed the Lord at my right hand. What does it mean that I have placed the Lord at my right hand? I live my life with a continual awareness. I am in the, the presence of this God that wants me to claim his promises with confidence. I am continually in the presence of this God that is on my side. He is powerful enough to save me from the enemy, to protect me from his attacks. The last uh, verse that we were going to look at from Psalms chapter 16 is verse 11 that says, You will make me know, you will make known to me the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Again, the same co- same concept. In your presence, in your right hand. What does it mean that Jesus holds these stars in his right hand? His presence is there manifested in a very special way. We see this at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit uh, falling upon the disciples God's presence made made itself manifest at that moment. And there were many other occurrences in which his presence was made um, experienced in a very uh, specific, uh, visible way, audible way. But more importantly, more consistently, that presence is the abiding peace, the abiding assurance that God is with me. Isn't that the promise that Jesus gave the disciples in Matthew chapter 28? As he's about to leave, uh, when he says, All authority has been given to me uh, in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus could have said, "I will. you will be at my right hand. I will be at your right hand. That, that right hand imagery is rich um, in meanings that are redemptive, that are the, uh, protective, that are fulfilling. And ultimately, God is with me. The right hand is equivalent to the presence of God is with me. I am not alone. I am not forsaken. I am not abandoned. This is very encouraging message to Ephesus. But why? Why such rich emphasis of this intimate uh, imagery of the right hand? Well, you know Ephesus' problem is not theological. They work tirelessly for the Lord. And so this church has no problem being active and busy and discerning uh, falsehood from error. Their only problem is that they have left their first love. And we talked about that already last week. Um, So Jesus is speaking about intimacy in this imagery of uh, holding the stars, the messengers in his right hand. And of course, it's followed up by he walks among the lampstands. And that that phrase, walk among, is a very unique expression. It's not found in many places in the Bible. And it, it actually points back, way back, to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 8. I'm going to read it to you. Um, that imagery of God walking among is actually mentioned almost verbatim in this verse. Um, this is after Adam and Eve have transgressed and partaken of the fruit. And it says in verse 8, 
they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. God was walking among the trees in the garden. And when they heard that voice of God walking among, wanting to be with, God is not walking among the trees because he wants to see the trees. God is walking among the trees because that's where he would meet with the human family. And it is very important that when Adam and Eve hide, they hide from the presence. Just like we read in Psalms chapter 16, right? The right hand, at your right hand is the presence. These, these imageries are complementary. And when Jesus walks among, it speaks about a God that wants to be a part of our lives intimately. He wants communication. He wants connection. He wants a relationship, loving relationship. This church has left their first love, but Jesus has not left this church. Jesus is presenting himself as the one that is still walking amongst them. You know, this is uh, almost heartbreaking. And even though this church has not yet entered into this full-blown apostasy that we'll see in the, in the later churches, it is still a sad experience that, uh, you know, I'm thinking of some secular songs that I used to listen, you know, during my teenage years. And I wish I had never really invested that much time in some of these songs. Some of them are highly depressive. Uh, I remember listening to this one song, an artist named uh, Rod Stewart, I think was his name. And the song, uh, the title, I think, was um, When the One You Love Is In Love With Someone Else Is Like Torture, you know. And, uh, well, we know from experience that that is true. And this is, in a real sense, how Jesus is experiencing this. This church is doing so many things for me except loving me. So what's the point? So Jesus presents himself not in an angry, like, you better change, but rather as the one that I, I want to fulfill promises for you. I want to protect you from the enemy. I want my presence to be with you. That imagery is presented by the simple symbol of the right hand. I want this fulfillment. I want you to see me work in powerful ways in your behalf. And I want to be with you. Um, this walking among the lampstands is the, the imagery of the one that in the Garden of Eden used to walk among the trees of the garden, not by himself, but with the human family. But after Genesis chapter 3, that was no longer the case. God still wanted to walk with the human family. God is walking in the garden, but the one that have left is the human family. The human family is no longer walking with God. They are hiding from God. So this is rich. This is beautiful. This is intimate. This has so much heart message that when we take these phrases that the Holy Spirit guided uh, the Apostle John to write, and we go to the Old Testament, and we could begin to go through just a simple study of searching, how to um, understand these symbols, what we walk away with is a beautiful revelation of God through Jesus. So tender, so caring. This is a God who has never left his first love for us. 
And we know this because He has never left us. He has desired and made a way for us to walk among Him and for Him to walk among us. In the, in the book of Exodus, when God instructs Moses to construct a sanctuary, um, He says in Exodus, Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, uh, Build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among you. Again, that phrase of among, being with, walking among, dwelling among. In John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14, we see all of this coming together in that Jesus no longer wants to, uh, God no longer wants to just walk inside this tent, inside this sanctuary, because there still has to be this separation. It's, there still has to be this these parameters that are drawn and only a select few can come and not even into the direct presence except once a year. Um, God wants even closer, closer. And God in John chapter 1 tells us that the Word was God and um, He was in the beginning with God. But the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, walked among us. This is a beautiful picture of a God that even though He recognizes, our hearts are no longer in it. We may be going through the rounds of motions externally. Ephesus was not a bad church. They were very good at excluding those that would bring heresies into the church. They were very active. They worked tirelessly and did many good things. But if love is the not, the, not the motivator, then what is? Self-seeking? Pride? Competition? Certainly those things can become part of the Christian experience. And it harms us and it degrades the relationship. Any marriage that is in it for the money degrades the very nature of that relationship. A woman that marries a man because this man has a hot car, he has a big house and a huge paycheck, she's marrying things, not a person. A man that marries a woman because of the things she has, her career, her beauty, is external and shallow. They're not marrying a person. They're marrying superficial things that are transient and temporal. So Jesus doesn't want this church to degrade something so beautiful, something so precious as a loving relationship. In Ephesians chapter 5, we were told that you know husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And love, it, it, it demands, in order for it to be true love between in a relationship, it, to be reciprocal. You know, I love you, you love me. Kind of like that song from Barney, right? <laughs> but this is not Barney. Barney never loved any of these kids. That was just a big marketing scheme. Sold a lot of DVDs. <laughs> um, but this is not Jesus. This Jesus has never left you. This Jesus has never left his first love for you. We are the ones that are prone to do that. I was just thinking this afternoon about that hymn that at the very last dance it says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. I feel it inside of me, Lord, this propensity to leave the God I love, to leave my first love for you. Why? There's a struggle. 
Paul speaks about it in the book of Romans, that there's this battle within, after conversion, now there is this war that takes place within our hearts on a moment-by-moment daily basis. And love is a choice, not a feeling. So when we leave our first love, it's simply we have stopped choosing those things that nurture and grow and sustain the relationship. Emotions are nice, and sometimes they are there. Feelings are nice, and sometimes they are there. But love does not depend on either emotions or feelings for being committed. Jesus did not have Uh, those nice feelings in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had a surrendered will, a commitment of saying, Father, not my will but yours, let that be done so that the human race can be saved, so that we can once again walk among the, 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 human, the humans, the people we've come to redeem, which we see that at the end of the book of Revelation. So this is just Ephesus. And this is what just a tidbit of what that imagery reveals about Jesus, about God, a God that wants to walk with that church in Ephesus, that church that has left its first love for Jesus. Jesus has not left his first love for that church, which assures us he has not left his first love for you either. Pastor Ariel, and I hope you were blessed with today's episode of Devotional. It is my prayer this resource will inspire you to spend personal time studying God's Word, including using the study tool of our Sabbath School Quarterly. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to this podcast. This way, you will be notified each time a new episode is published. And don't forget to scroll down on the show's description and click on the links for all the free resources to get the best experience out of this podcast. Also, please remember to share with your friends through social media, be it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or the one you use regularly. This way, they can also be blessed with this resource. Lastly, please consider becoming a financial supporter of this podcast. It would be much appreciated. This is Pastor Ariel inviting you to study the Bible with me again on our next episode of Devotional. Devotional.